Hello and welcome to Mixtape, Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Jenners. I'm Matt Hartspade. And we're here with Leo Canine today from Canine Records. Very excited. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Um, so I guess we should talk about how we all know each other from way back <laughs> in the day and gigs and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think the first time I met you, it was probably at pianos or something like that. Yeah, when pianos <laughs> was like where all the new bands would play. Yeah. Like yeah. early 2001 or two. Before it became Bridge and Tunnel Central. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame still. I mean, I don't really go to Lower East Side too often these days. Well, you will be for the New Colossus Festival. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> in March. Yes. We actually talked about New Colossus uh, last, last season. season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love it. Um, and uh, so that's exciting, like new venture for you. How was how that kind of formulated for you? I mean, it's amazing. And the whole concept behind it, if just to recap a little bit, is to help bands from all over the world get some of their first shows in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And also to, like, you know, bring back culture back to the Lower East Side. Because, yeah, like, everyone's that. like, it's gone, but it's not. The city is still cool. You mm -hmm. don't have to go to Ridgewood, Queens to see a band. Mm -hmm. You yeah. can see a band in the city. And um, we want people to, you know, to still come back to New York and experience what we used to experience in the mm -hmm. early 2000s mm -hmm. and have that same feeling, you know, get your slice of pizza and at Rosario's and then go and see a cool <laughs> band at Pianos or yeah. Mercury Lounge or Berlin or something like that and um, still enjoy the cool feeling of the city. Yeah. No, I, mean, I love that idea and I feel like it's a good time for a resurgence a bit because I feel like when we were going to everything, for me it started to fizzle around, I don't know, 2010, 11, 12, I started going out a little less. Um, particularly, I didn't go to Lower East Side for, for, you know, quite a while. I'd go maybe three times a year. But I feel like yeah. it, it's it's a nice time now that X amount of years has passed, the, you know. The last CMJ party was 2015. Mm -hmm. And I could see it coming like around, like you said 2010, but I was still a believer until yeah, around yeah. like 13. Uh-huh. But around then, you could see it fizzling. But then I always looked forward to CMJ because it changed the city. Yeah. Again, yeah, yeah. it transformed it into what it was. Mm -hmm. That one week a year, you know it's mm -hmm. going to be cool again. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where I'm going to see, like, King Lizard, Gizzard, Wizard. I can never say their name right. <laughs> but, you know, I saw them at pianos, like, five times during that week. Yeah. Before yeah. they blew into this massive thing they are now, you mm -hmm. know. And that was the idea. And we're trying to recreate that again with the... New Colossus Festival, where you're mm -hmm. gonna see like Penelope Isles and Small Vestal before they blow up, or, or just any band like that, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, and I feel like um, it's nice to have another like industry kind of like something that brings the industry back together again because I felt like that was kind of not there. For yeah, a that, while. that's another reason. Like we need, like we need this, not just for New York, but the world needs us because New York is a like a great meeting spot of and melting pot of people yeah. from all over the world to come and mm -hmm. network. And that's another part that brought CMJ together. And the people doing the other little festivals, like they're too tech conference oriented mm -hmm. where we want to keep it very music oriented. Mm -hmm. And it should be more about the bands and the new like app of this or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, technology. Because without music, there would be no need for the technology as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, you want to talk a little bit about how you got into the record biz? <laughs> was yeah. it accidental? Is it kind of a dream you had for, since yeah. you were young? It's always been a dream of mine to work in the music biz. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back when part of your mixtape 
culture. Yeah. yeah. When I was a little kid, you know, like I'd make mixes for like you know my boyfriend, girlfriends, friends, like cousins, like everyone, and like you'd sit in your room and you'd write little things and pick your best songs. And you were the tastemaker for that mm-hmm. afternoon. And when you brought him to school and you gave him to someone, it meant a lot. Yeah. It showed a strong part of your personality and, you know, in a way that you can't do through a letter or a note and everything. And doing that, I would be like, you know, I would go to like my normal record store, Murmur CDs and Discs in Park Avenue in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I would just lurk. I'd be like one of those annoying kids that would never buy anything and just like look for the free stuff and they'd always have free mixed cds Mm -hmm. i mean mixed tapes Mm -hmm. cassettes on the counter and i'd grab them and that's actually how i discovered smashing pumpkins that way through one of those yeah (laughs) way before they even played or got signed or anything wow and yeah they were on one of these mixed cassettes but i was like always like i'm gonna work here someday and then finally when i got old enough to work there they closed but (laughs) 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 but i always told that guy and he's like can i see that cassette only if you're going to finally buy it. Like, Can yeah, I just yeah. see it, please? I'll come back Friday with the money. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to be working here anyway, so you might as well like share all the music with me. And he's like, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> so when I was in college, I, try, I applied to the, you know, the normal record store there in my college town. But same thing, you know, I was the lurker. Yeah. And then I saw these posters on the wall of bands playing in town. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So I went to check out some of the shows and found out that there was an organization that put it on through the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I kind of weaseled my way into that organization <laughs> of saying like the same thing. I showed up to one of their meetings and like, yeah. excuse me, you don't belong here. <laughs> this is a private meeting. And I was like, I know, but I do belong here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I am joining your organization. And they're like, we're not hiring. And I was like, you don't have to hire me. I'll work for free. I just want in. <laughs> and I just Where kinda, was school? You know, like what state or what uh, part Florida. of the country? Oh, it was, it was Tallahassee, mm-hmm. Florida, FSU. Mm-hmm. And the, they ran uh, two clubs, one called the Club Down Under, which was slash a pizza place at, okay. <laughs> during the day and a, a venue at night and the other place called The Moon. And I eventually became like, did tons of stuff there. Like I was a caterer for like the bands, uh, worked the door. I was one of the club managers, like just did a little bit of everything and then eventually mm-hmm. got into booking. Mm-hmm. And when I started getting into booking, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I don't know how, like, uh, this is going to happen. Cause like there was no music school or classes back then for right. like yeah. music entertainment. It was just like, you just wing things, you know? Yeah. And I just, you know, I got a taste for it and I was like, I don't, somehow I'm going to do this for a living. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, but it's going to happen. And I moved, I used to drive up to Atlanta from Florida for shows all the time. It was like six hours. Wow. And I would literally drive after class for a show and drive straight back to, for my eight <laughs> o'clock class in the morning wow. and make it. Yeah. That's like, dedication. Wow. Oh, I did that like 20 times. And then, so I thought Atlanta was like this huge happening city where mm-hmm. there's like amazing things going on. Like, who are you going to see? Oh, uh, I saw um, Gene. Remember Gene? Oh, wow. We're still one of, of my all time favorite bands. Yeah. I went to see uh, Electrofiction, which was Ema Colick. And Will Sargent's other band from Echo and the Bunnymen, all the Dandy Warhols, like early stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like you know, that was like '90s and like stuff that I was like, I saw Luna, mm-hmm. like things like I would drive up for them. Like I became friends. Luna would play our club all the time, but I became kind of friends with Dean and them. So I was like, wanted to go see them everywhere, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know, yeah. like a fanboy kind of thing. Yeah. But I just thought Atlanta was a huge city, so I moved there and tried really hard to get in the, into like you know the music biz there. But I just ended up interning at like labels that just didn't exist too long or whatever do a funding and mm. stuff and then i started working in clubs like djing and promoting and i just realized i needed if i'm gonna do this i needed to move to a bigger city mm-hmm. and that's where new york kind of came in and i decided when i moved to new york 
I'm just starting. I don't care if I have to start completely over as an intern or whatever. I'm muscling my way into the music biz somehow. Mm-hmm. And I did that basically. I, you know, like I took out the phone book. This is before people used the internet because dial up, we only had dial up. <laughs> took out the phone book and I looked up record labels and all wrote them down and marched to their offices, you know, <laughs> and like handed out resumes and like, you know, there's another funny story about that. But I got denied by everyone, you know, because mm-hmm. obviously I had no experience or whatever. So I realized, okay, no one's going to give me a job. I'm going to have to kind of create a need for a job. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, they still do, like, record labels still do old school, like, promotion in the clubs, mm-hmm. passing out free records, posters, CDs, yeah. and they need clubs to do that. Nobody was really doing that in New York. Mm-hmm. So I started doing my own club nights. Like, they're mostly indie, Britpop kind of, indie rock kind of club nights. We put on some bands and was mostly that the DJ. And that was the crashing in parties. Mm-hmm. And because of that, labels had a need to call me mm. once a week and check up on everything. So I became good friends with certain labels wow. that way, like the Beggars Group, uh-huh. which, you know, Beggars had a own label back then, mm-hmm. but besides just the group. And, like, Spin Art and, like, other, like, cool Jet Set. Remember those labels? Like, mm-hmm. from, yeah. Yeah, 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 early 2000s. And I ended up getting an interview at Beggars, and I was really excited. It was between me and this other guy. and But I had planned to go to Reading and Leeds that summer, festivals in England that summer mm-hmm. and I've been asked them is this going to jeopardize my chance of getting this job mm-hmm. and they're like absolutely not we want our employees to do this stuff don't worry so I was like cool like I'm in you know so I went and then I kept calling you know with like payphone quarters you know <laughs> <laughs> or pounds I guess back then you know I don't know mm-hmm. but from England trying to check up you know and I finally got through like after a week and one guy was like, oh, I'm really sorry, but since you were gone, they gave it to the oh other guy. And I was so bummed. Oh, man. But because of that, I went to work at a record store called Rebel Rebel, mm-hmm. which of was course. like the coolest record store. I miss store Rebel in that. Rebel. Yeah. yeah, I just saw David the other day um, at the record fair. But I worked there for two years, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I got a call. One, like the reps would come in all the time, so I'd mm-hmm. still be meeting them, and I was still doing my club parties. And then I got a call from Matt like two years later, and he goes, are you still looking for a cool job in the industry? And I was like, absolutely. He goes, I got one for you now. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to work at Beggars. And he goes, no. <laughs> but I got one for you. And it was I didn't even know it at the time. It was a ADA distribution, which I didn't even know what distribution was back then. I thought the record just magically appeared at the <laughs> store from the label, you know? Yeah. What was the position that you were trying to get at Beggars? What was the role? Do you remember? It was a sales job. Sales like, job. Sales, okay. like a sales assistant to become like a sales rep got it just i didn't care what you gave me back then i just wanted in yeah yeah. you know i was gonna charm my way in if Mm -hmm. i whatever i had to do you know whether it was making coffee or didn't matter to me yeah you want to be i think that's a good lesson that when you want when you want to go into like something past so passionately oh yeah like need an in you you just need it in if you're really charming and you're really like good at what you do and can learn fast you can do anything in the business Mm -hmm. yeah but going back to beggars um, the first time I applied to beggars, I went to like, you know, the, where the office was and it, they used to be in Soho and they had a door guy, you know, like all those big offices have door guys sure. and he's like, you can't come in here whatever. You need an appointment what? and all this. And I was like, sure. No problem. So I waited outside. I came back the next day yeah. with a backpack and it was summer. It was like August, super hot. Yeah. So I came with a backpack full of a couple of extra shirts, you know, and I waited till he went to lunch. And then I figured out, oh, you need a code to get up the elevator. So I took the stairs. They're on the 16th floor. Oh my and I knew God. this. 
you know, those old buildings, no AC, how yeah, hot it is in yeah. August in there. And I knew I'd be sweaty by the time I got there. So I changed shirts like th- two different times. Very Because I was sweating so hard. So I wanted to look fresh, wow. you know, on the top. So when I came up, I was like drawing off one <laughs> shirt and put another shirt on. And, you know, like I walked into the office and there was a big charlatans poster hanging on, like those subway <sighs> size. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> Meant to be. And this guy came up to me. Exactly. This guy came up to me. He was like, excuse me. What do you have? What are you delivering? You know, like what, what do you? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not a delivery guy. Uh-huh. I'm going to work here. And he goes, hey, this is not a record, so you can't just walk in. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, see that poster on the wall? I said exactly that. I'm, I'm meant to work here. And he just started kind of chuckling, and I handed him my resume. He goes, okay, kid, that's cool, man. You got to go, though. And I was like, no problem, man. Call me next week. <laughs> and then I, there was Amazing. a thing called, uh, I think it was like The Vine or something, you know, like a website blog that listed um, music jobs. Oh. You remember what it was called? It was like Vine something. That I don't or remember. Some, anyway, there was. And there, that job was listed on there again. So two weeks later, oh. I reapplied. And he brought me in for an interview. And he goes, don't I know you? <laughs> and I was like, nah, man. I've never seen you before. <laughs> 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 so I ended up like going through the interview process, you know, and didn't make it that round. But he remembered me because my stubborn, I told him later on that was me. Uh-huh. And he remembered me. And he loved my enthusiasm so much that he yeah. was like, I just think you're you should work here. Yeah. yeah. But it didn't, but anyway, he ended up getting me that job at ADA and I worked at ADA for seven years. Yeah, you were and then I worked at, um, Mexican summer mm-hmm. for two yeah. years and I worked for a rough trade for a little bit. And then the whole time I was kind of doing, still doing the club nights, doing the label on the side, but the label wasn't profitable in any way. And I didn't really know what I was doing. So Kay was doing it full time and I was keeping my job to help us make rent and, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, like, insurance and stuff and and learn and and still learning you know like i used ada as a platform you know absolutely to learn and make connections and stuff and it wasn't until like you know really late like till suffer blood era until i finally quit all my jobs and mm-hmm. can do canine full time but so cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> but when did you actually start canine though even if it wasn't a full-time venture 2003 2003 yeah okay. 2003 with uh you know that was the era was of mommy yeah. and daddy <laughs> uh-huh, in the uh-huh. flesh oxford collapse uh-huh <laughs> those bands you know and soon after we actually found grizzly bear 2004 pretty close wow. pretty fast after after you know like we started because we made our first mix yeah called new york the next wave I of a mix that. of uh, a bunch of bands that were playing our club nights at the time at like lux and galapagos we've and talked about at. that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all played our parties all the time and it was actually Kay's idea that why don't we put out a mix of all the bands that have been playing our parties and see if anyone cares before mm-hmm. we decide who we're going to sign you know uh-huh. and work with and we did that and honestly it just did really well and that's i kind of discovered grizzly bear that way through that like you know one of the my promoters told me about it. she just handed me a piece of paper like a napkin with his email on it <laughs> you got you got to talk to this guy this guy's just making mind-blowing music but on his own like he, you're just gonna you know so i emailed him and he wrote me back he's like i don't even know that girl you know <laughs> what's her name you know and i was like how did she find me and i was like i don't know she just told me like she knew you and like your best friends or something she's like no i don't know <laughs> he, but anyway he sent me like a cassettes you know some mixed cassettes mm-hmm. of like 50 songs wow. and i picked like the top 15 I thought were the best for the first record, you know, and it kind of rolled from there. (laughs) I always feel like, uh, canine, 
I mean, there's a few bands in mind that uh, you championed and signed very early on, and then they really took off. I mean, I also think of Chairlift, of course, uh, Surfer Blood, Grizzly Bear. I mean, there's quite yeah. a few. Braids did yeah. really well, too. Like, I, I love still doing Braids, well. yeah. I haven't listened to them recently, but I love Braids, yeah. yeah. They started out, like, their first record when they were 18. Mm-hmm. They started out really young, and um, they've kind of started being more of a shoegaze, kind of crotworky, mm-hmm. arty band, and now they've kind of changed, and they're very electronic, kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. electronic pop, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, because you have such a, it's like kind of really impressive, like the taste level there, because like to have that many like hits, you know, like good predictions of like that went on to do well. I mean, you, you probably just picked them because you love them. Yeah. Not based on like, well, I think they'll sell a million. Totally. I didn't (laughs) think we'd sell anything of anyone, to be honest, like. You know, when we first started, we had no distribution. No one would touch us. You know, they'd always be like, you have to come back to me when you are selling 20,000 copies. Mm-hmm. And it's a chicken or an egg. And I'd be like, well, I won't need you then. Right, you know? of yeah. course. You know, yeah. but I need you now to help me get there. But they don't want to touch you, you know. And it's like, so no store would even carry my stuff, not even on consignment. So I came up with this plan of how to get my records in all New York stores with, you know, where I went to, I made fake like I went to all the stores and took pictures of their stickers their price tags uh-huh. and went home <laughs> and I made duplicates of all the like stickers price stickers and started putting them on records and would just slip them in to the store. oh my god it's genius wow. and then I started getting like I was working at ADA and like one this one rep that sat right next to me and he goes Leo isn't this one of your records the store other music wants 10 copies they've been looking for it they can't find it and I'm getting calls from like Kim's and stuff about this record you know can you want to handle this and i was like tell them i'll be there in an hour (laughs) (laughs) you're like they're in my backpack (laughs) yeah they are and what was that record by the way was it grizzly that was grizzly bear yeah Yeah. and it actually turned out that grizzly bear did so massive in other music other music was the first store in the world to champion that record Mm -hmm. and we sold within that first year we sold over 500 cds in that one store all me bring him in my backpack. <laughs> no kidding. Like wow. it was mind blowing. And you know, like the owner, I was talking to owners, Josh and Chris, um, the other day. And we, we still talk and chuckle about that because it's like, it was me sneaking in, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. putting I it in the racks, uh-huh. a CD when everybody was like, nah, man, we don't want your records. We don't know who you, you made are, your you know? way in, like no matter what and you, you got know? to in this world, you know, it's yeah. like, the, the way I first got my DJ gigs in New York was the same way. My friends and I went. We had this one friend. We called her Letter A because we could never say her name right. <laughs> but she started with an A. So we, she was a graphic designer. So we all sat. We went, to, we went into her office like 10 o'clock at night on the weekend or yeah. something when nobody was around and made up all these flyers that we had DJed in London, Chicago, Detroit, all these cities, Miami, all this stuff, and really nice flyers. And we put them in a book. Like, you know, people have, like, those old kind of, like, photo albums. Like, well, they sl- like a portfolio, portfolio yeah. book. Really nice. And I brought them to the – we dressed our best. Very Britpop mod. Yeah. We're all that kind of dressed like that back then anyway. Yeah. It wasn't too hard. And, you know, we walked into, the, like, these clubs, and a lot of people were just impressed by what we looked. And, the, and when we show them the book, they'd be, like, the club owners. Most of them, just business guys don't know. They're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, you know? Not, like, okay, checking. what night? I'll give you a Wednesday. <laughs> no one wants Wednesday. I was like, I'll take it. 
Oh, you're going to take uh-huh. Tuesday, why not? You know? <laughs> you know, like our first, uh, our first place was on Avenue um, C near the old plant bar, remember? But it was this basement bar ran by old cops. Okay. And the cops opened a bar and they used to have chicken fights in the basement. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and but they gave us Wednesdays. So it wasn't non-chicken fight day. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it ended up And they doing, just let you play whatever you wanted. We played whatever. Yeah. They didn't know what we were playing. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were playing whatever we want. They thought we were a little wacky, you know? Yeah, but yeah. They're all like Guido cop dudes, you know? Uh-huh. But it did so well that we started getting gigs at other places and it kind of grew from there. And then bands started coming to hang out with us all the time, you know, because mm-hmm. they just liked the music and liked the vibe and liked us. That I started booking bands at other venues because I became friends with them all really well. And that started just growing and growing. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, yeah, this can kind of happen, turn into like a job, you mm-hmm. know? But I still always wanted to work at a label because, like, I knew that was like, I didn't want to be a 50 year old, like, DJ, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it was a way to get in and it really worked. You know, you brought over um, this zine that you distributed. How long ago was this? It's been over 10 years. Yeah. But I remember having it, and I still have it somewhere in my apartment, and I was just kind of glancing over some of the bands that that you were, you know, um, representing at the time, and some of them you still do. And I'm just like, there were so many good bands. I mean, Zambri I saw 10,000 times back in the day. Right. Um, uh, Pepper Rabbit I loved. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, chairlifts on here. Beach day had some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So I mean, just uh, it's Depreciation Guild. I loved that debut oh, yeah. album so much. Those are getting um, reissued. Oh yeah. Yeah, we reissued uh, the first record last year, and we're reissuing the second one next uh, March. No, oh. next April. Yeah, because those are really sought after records. So um, that was so so good. But I mean, yeah, kind of to Jin's point, I feel like you kind of had your your ear on all the. The right stuff, and they're they're not all. 2013. 2013. So that was a long time. Ago. Yeah. I feel like there are some labels that um, everything sounds very similar to one another, but a lot of these bands did not sound similar to one another. Yeah. You know. Well, you know, like when I first started the label, we, we wanted it to be all about Brooklyn and what was going on in Brooklyn, and the idea was like we were going to take what was happening in Brooklyn and mm-hmm. expose it to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Because some of my favorite labels were ones that did that, created a scene. It's almost like I was like the only subject I loved in college yeah. or in school was history class, you know? <laughs> and I wanted to run the label like that. Like it's almost mm-hmm. like a, you know, a history book. Like a record to me is like a history book. It's documenting a piece of time. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at like creation at the time, they documented what was going on in like mostly in London area, you know, mm-hmm. or like central like England. Sarah Records, similar thing. Teen Beat was like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Sub Pop was like, you know, that northeast, northwest coast, like, sound, you know. Like, yeah. And that, to me, that's what I wanted to do with, you know, Canine in the beginning. And we did. It's just that we grew. And you can't stay like that forever. And, that you know, the scene diminished and changed, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. What are some of your favorite releases you've put out? I know there are so many. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think my all-time favorite release would be like Surfer Blood Astro Coast. Yeah, yeah. Because that was such a game changer for me in that I finally got to quit all my jobs and focus heavily on that. Yeah. But I also just became so tight with the band. Like they stayed in our office for two weeks at a time and stuff like that. And we just had the like really strong bond and like, you know, like Mm. just like 
the memories will never go away mm-hmm. because of that. Like mm-hmm. having them put them to bed like little kids, you know, <laughs> like they would call us mom and dad, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, they were kids. They were like 18, you know, back then, you know? So like most of the bands we do find in the beginning are pretty much 18 to 22. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually reissuing Astro Coast for a special 15-year anniversary edition. Oh, my God. I can't believe it's in wow. 15 years. And next April. So I'm excited about that, too. I remember when I forget if it was you or Kay slipped me a like a promo CD at CMJ must have been fifteen years yeah. ago. So that's very hard to grasp. But yeah, it's pianos. Uh, it was at shop. Brooklyn Bowl. Brooklyn. They Bowl. did a show oh, at Brooklyn yeah, Bowl. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Fried chicken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's I kind of associate Brooklyn Bowl with their fried chicken. I feel like when you go like, in, if you yeah. go there, you're gonna have it. Yeah. Well, you, you could smell see, it. I don't eat that stuff, but you could smell it when you walk yeah, in for sure. Instantly. Um, should we revisit the '90s and kind yeah. of stuff that yeah, you were? Yeah, it. yeah, that you were super into. And I mean, um, the '90s was my favorite era of music. So yeah, yeah, and it's what influenced. <laughs> like if you if you listen to Canine Records, you'll you'll understand how what the influence comes from from the '90s. Because I mean, everything I put out is basically influenced from from like what I collect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Record-wise mm-hmm. and stuff. Do you think more UK or US? UK. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it, it wasn't like... It wasn't a, like a thing that I was like, oh, it's so much cooler over there. Because like, I had never been there when I was like first getting into these bands. Yeah. But for me, it was just like... I was working at... You know, when I was in college, it kind of started at, when I was in college. Like, uh, I was working at these bands, and that was a big era of like ska... And like mm-hmm. like Warp Tour kind of punk, and well, especially like, in Florida, wasn't that? Big? Yeah, and like ska bands, Warp Tour punk and grunge, and I just didn't like any of it. Yeah, I was like, and I just got so sick of seeing smelly kids with like dirty flannels. And <laughs> yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. And then you get these, you read these man- magazines of Enemy Melody Maker Select, and they just look gorgeous. Like the bands look absolutely stunning. Yeah, yeah. Whether yeah. it's a guy or a girl. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I want to look like that. Exactly. Yeah. And then these guys are actually singing. And they're right. and if it's a male, he's not afraid to use his voice as an instrument. Where it's mm-hmm. like in America, that was frowned upon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I've never been a macho guy anyway. So I'm like, I mean, you know. So I was like, I don't want to be a dirty, smelly guy screaming. You know, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> yeah. angry. I don't want to kill myself. Mm-hmm. I have a good life. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> right. you know, like I want to embrace like happiness and and real culture and music. And I loved nice clothes. I've always had since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Been into clothes and like still am. And mm-hmm. like I always felt that more fascinating. I was like, I can be clean, dress good, and still be into cool music. Yeah. Exactly. That's, yeah. So like England always had that for me. And the bands were just like buzzling. And I also like the fact that hardly anyone in my town liked that music too. Yeah. Which is a little snobby thing, but it's true, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's kind of like a like a punk, you know, ethos kinda of like, ah, oh, you don't like it, cool, man. Oh yeah. yeah. I remember when um Oasis uh, came out with Definitely Maybe, and I bought it uh-huh. uh, at Nobody Beats the Wiz in 94. And I remember bringing it up to the counter, and I was definitely the only person in that yeah. in Brooklyn who was purchasing that at 13 or whatever. And the guy um, who was checking me out was like, uh, uh, you think this band is going to break? I mean, I've read something about them. And I'm like, I, I think they might. you know. Yeah. And then, of course, they blew up. You know? Yeah. My um, dad, um, we convinced, my sister and I were both into like, British bands really early and we convinced my parents my dad to take us to a trip to London because we always wanted to go and he just did not interested you know <laughs> anyway complained about it the whole time yeah but we like we went to London and I think it was like 93 94 mm-hmm. like, I think like yeah probably like late 93 anyway 
we saw Oasis posters all over the walls and all over like the city. And I, at that time, we didn't know who they were. I thought it was a rave. <laughs> you know, it didn't have pictures of guys. It just had pretty landscape and said Oasis everywhere. So and I that it was logo. Like, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was to like see them raving. a rave. That was, <laughs> that that was an no era where raves were really big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I knew who the Verve were. Yeah. And I knew who like Echo Belly was, but I didn't know who like you know Oasis was. So like, I don't know. I just started, but we went and bought like every magazine we could, even if they're back issues, because you couldn't get them in Florida that much. So I uh-huh. had, like brought stacks of my suitcase of magazines and as and you have to pay the import fee yeah <laughs> oh and as gosh, many as yeah. like i'd go to the store and i was like i don't know the guy would be like what are you into i was like i want to buy new stuff and i was like stuff like the charlatans yeah. and he'd point to like all right here this section mm-hmm. all these new uk bands you know and i bought as many cds as we could and went back and then i just memorized those magazines so heavy mm-hmm. and some of them came with mix tapes yes yes which you know (laughs) do you hear that that's a real mixtape guys (laughs) this is one of my summer mixtapes from 95 that i'm holding right now that a friend gave to me someone made for for me i don't even remember what's on there to be honest because i lost the case but i i was like trying to find some of my old mixes just to bring for this event yeah yeah i listened to those mixtapes all the time that came with the magazines like select always had them Mm -hmm. and stuff and enemy had a lot Mm -hmm. And then I heard Oasis for the first time. Mm-hmm. I think it was Cigarettes and Alcohol was the first song or something. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't even smoke. And I was like, this is brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> These guys are happy, having a good time, partying, living life. That's what I want to do. And then I read, saw him in the magazines and seen how cool Liam looked. And I was like, yep, mm. sold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is it. This is what I'm getting into, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm down. So I went to my local record store to try to ask him. Wrote down the names of all these bands that asked the guy, and the guy's like, "Don't know any of this, no. <laughs> you know." And Do I was you like, want in utero? <laughs> yeah. And so I was just looking. I'd look through, you know, back then, you college kid, you don't have much money, so you look through the used or the promo sections. Yeah. And I saw these weird, this weird. I'd look for stuff that said "Made in the UK" or "UK import" mm-hmm. stickers, mm-hmm. and go, and that's what I'd buy. They used to be in the two dollar bins, mm-hmm. and that's how I discovered Pulp. Oh, awesome! Oh, wow. It was a two dollar CD, and wow. I was just like. His and hers. Uh-huh. And I what a was so <laughs> confused. I, to that and went home. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Is this a guy or a girl? And like, yeah, yeah. what is happening? Mm-hmm. And it, I was just like, it so intrigued me because it was so unlike anything I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it wasn't even like the Smiths. Yeah. It wasn't like Roxy Music. It wasn't like, there's no grunge. There's no like testosterone, yeah. you know, angry. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's just weird and cool and yeah. like <laughs> just bizarre. Yes. And you know, I just was like, wow. And then I started seeing him in the magazines and I was like, oh, he's cool, you know, like I thought he was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> but he he's cool in a weird way. He's like a weirdo, but he's cool, you know? And I I could relate to that more than like, you know, like a macho like Foo Fighters type character yeah, yeah, yeah. dude, which I could never relate to. I was like, I never understood why everyone thought Rage the Machine was so cool. I was like, I don't really like this. Yeah. See, I listen you know, to that stuff. Never attracted me, you know, like Pantera and all those kind of bands, like those heavy bands in the U.S. I was like, I was so turned off by that. And like, honestly, even in the beginning, I was turned off by Nirvana because I was like, all the dude wants to do is die. Can you just die already? Like, oh, I want to wow. be happy. I, I, I have a soft spot. <laughs> I got into Nirvana. I, <laughs> I got into Nirvana later on in life, but mm-hmm. like at that time, I was just sick of it because I was like, oh, it was so shoved down your throat, and I was just like. And he was just like, you know, I wanted to, like, make music that 
made me feel good, you mm-hmm. know, listen to music like, you know. Yeah. I could dance to like the charlatans and the happy Mondays and exactly, like, yeah. that stuff, you know. I listened to alternative radio just because that was all I really had access to unless I went to a record store and, and kind right. of, you know, was glancing through NME or Q and I would spend hours reading every page. Mm-hmm. But I didn't purchase it because it was like 12 bucks and, yeah. in yeah. 94, you know, even today, I don't know if yeah. I spent 12 bucks on it. It's probably like 18. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I had the... <laughs> I would listen to alternative radio, but I would seek out the British stuff because that's yeah. the stuff I actually enjoyed more. Yeah, yeah. Like, did you ever get into, like, catalog culture? You know, like, getting, like, the, the mail order catalogs oh. <laughs> and, like, trying to find stuff that way. Because I had, <laughs> like, the guy who made all the mixtapes for me in high yeah. school, like, that's how he got his music and, like, how he found, like, all the, like, the hard-to-find stuff. And, and he really, like... Thank God he did that because, like, that, that informed, like, my music taste for, like, the rest of my life. <laughs> like, him putting these awesome mixtapes together for me. So, like, did you, like, you know, besides, like, looking at magazines, like, did you get into Yeah, like, ninth grade, thing? I joined one of those, like, Columbia House tape clubs, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> you get the first 12 for a penny. Yeah, yeah. And then you're forced to buy one for of another course. year, a, a month, you yeah. know? And I, like, didn't know, that was when I was, like, first getting into, like, a lot of these, like, normal bands and i was just like going buying like the rems and stuff because that's uh-huh. what you could only really get but even like, like, like the indie labels i feel like they would have like mail order kind of. no i didn't really do that back then i mean also, you know being way older like you had to do like you know mail like mail order like what like the not checks but money orders oh yeah oh, money and money i just orders. hated doing that stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was such a pain you'd have to go to the bank and all this or Jeez. So I just yeah. so I didn't really do that. that really but was another era. I didn't really have to, to be yeah. honest, because my record store, like Murmur and Park Avenue CDs in Florida, where I was, were so great. Oh, that's they were, great. They had they had like yeah they the guys that worked there knew it, they were the shit and they mm-hmm. had like the best stuff, and like even though people like to down Florida, it's really okay place people. <laughs> <laughs> like my town and like you know my school and all the kids were a lot of kids were really all hip and like mm-hmm. every like you know everyone knew music really well. So mm-hmm. I had like a lot of people to learn stuff from. Mm-hmm. How do how do people find out about what's cool today? Like, is it still record you tell stores? Me. Is it <laughs> yeah. still like I think we're all a little puzzled. You know, like yeah. you know from like like running a label. Like, have you found that like like, how do people discover your music, you know, if they well, didn't grow up, like, listening to K9 or, like, right. knowing about it before, like, it's, how? I'd be so, I'm surprised, like, some of the ways people um, find out about us. Like, still, there's those clubs. Like, there's one called Vinyl, just Vinyl, like, without the eye. Uh-huh. And they'll buy, like, like, when we have Overstock, I sell to them as a discount. And they, what they do is, like, you know, you get, you get to pick one record, then you get five that they just pick and they send them to you. So, like, they'll throw a bunch of canine titles in there, too, or, like, you know, probably get... And that when we were doing the record fairs one time, um, this girl came up to me and started buying, like, Pepper Rabbit and a couple other things. And I was like, I asked her, and I was like, hey, that's cool. You like Pepper Rabbit? They're awesome. She's like, yeah. And she goes, I was like, how'd you find out about us? She told me through that club. Mm. She goes, I quit the club because most of it was, like, pretty mainstream, and I wanted more cooler stuff. And she goes, I found your label through that because you guys had the coolest stuff in the pile each each month Mm -hmm, that I got mm -hmm. stuff. So I thought that was pretty neat. But I really think it's like most of it's old school, Mm -hmm. like word of mouth, still like the old days. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, 
people finding out bands through friends and everything and chat rooms and stuff and mm-hmm. like what other friends are listening to and whether it's Spotify as your friend with someone on Spotify or whatever. I still think it's like done more that way than anything. I don't I think I mean people are listening to radio less. Yeah. And trying to get a new band on the radio is impossible anyway. And then now even trying to get new bands on blogs is like close to impossible. Mm-hmm. And the kids aren't really reading the blogs. So hello, I work in PR now. So yeah, I get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So I I still think it's like you know the old way. Like, but I also work part time still at Rough Trade, and people come up all the time and ask what's hip, what's new, or whatever. And if I play something, they'll be like, "That's dope. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, I'll check it out." Like, you know, like I played a track off Honey Lung, which is a new UK band we're working with. Sounds like the first Smashing Pumpkins record, mm-hmm. kind of similar, mm. which is like one of a great record. And this guy came up to me, he's like, "Dude, is that what you told me I should check out?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Yeah, I need to buy this." And I was like, "It still can, there's still discovery in the stores, which I find really exciting." Oh, that's encouraging, I mean, actually. I find <laughs> stuff that way too. I was in Brighton uh, for the Great Escape Festival, and I went to um, um, a record store there, Resident, which is a really hip indie store. And this guy was playing this record, and I was like, this is cool. What is this? And he goes, this new band, Flaming Gods. I don't know if you know them, nice. but check them out. They're, it's kind of like uh, Moon Duo a little bit, but more uh-huh. guitar-heavy than synth. And just really cool and weird and wacky. And I was like, it sounds so good, really big. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I was like, I got to book them for the festival. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I got to check this record out. Like, So I still think it can happen. And I still think, to me, that's the most exciting way to find music more mm-hmm. than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I wonder who are the real tastemakers, like, these days, you know? Like, because I feel like blogs are, like, I don't know. So they're the indie Commer- labels. Yeah. They're, like, so commercialized. Yeah, yeah they're the, they're, the tastemakers are the indie labels willing to take chances on new bands mm-hmm. and put them out there and spend money on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, the ones that really, like, kind of have an identity. Because I yeah. feel like a lot of them have lost that. I've, like, I brought it up, like, when we were taping with Abby, um that like it's so disappointing when you see like a label and how they've changed over the years and they're just like hanging on to these like trends versus like doing their own thing a real taste yeah you know yeah i don't like that either i mean we try to hang on to our same thing you know but like there's still cool labels like flying nun and new zealand does that Mm -hmm. and like i know if it's coming out on flying nun it's gonna be pretty good you know so i'll check it out at least you know like um I mean, that's kind of how I got into music in the first. I wanted everything on Team Beat, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, wanted, yeah. I wanted everything on Sarah Records. I wanted everything on Creation Records. Like, an early Rough Trade was like that. Yeah. Um, you know? So, like, those those labels were huge influences to me and huge influences for Canine in the beginning, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, to what to do. And I, I always made sure, like, with our label, like, to keep, like, the sound kind of somewhat indie, like, central. Not every band's the same genre, like, you know, yeah. shoegaze dream pop whatever but just like in cool indie vibes surrounded them like creation did you know yeah. like they didn't sign hip-hop you know or mm-hmm. or like house music and you know like i want to not do that either and keep it like kind of like centrally focused because i really think branding is super important yeah mm-hmm. i mean you started in the biz because you're so passionate about it so yeah. it's like cool that you've held on to that over the years and like haven't lost that right well, it's because I, I love what I do. Yeah. I want to keep it going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like, you know, I've never made, I've never gotten rich from this and I, I don't ever think I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. but I've got to live a life that I could only have dreamed of. Like I dreamed of working in the music business when I was like in my teens and like I'm doing it 
and I actually re realized when I look back the other year, I've been doing it even when I was nothing, like, you know, since I was, like, 18. So it's something, you know, yeah. in mm -hmm. different avenues. And I've worked in almost every kind of avenue of it, so. Mm -hmm. What was, like, your highlight so far in your whole career? Oh, man, just being able to, like, look back and, you know, see records, like, sell in stores and seeing, like, kids get excited about them. Like, when I go to weird festivals around the world, like, and I see someone with a canine tote bag, mm -hmm. just, like, brings us, like, a warm yeah. feeling in my heart, you yeah. know? And I just, like, wow, that's so cool. Like, someone from, like, Norway mm -hmm. knows who we are. Like, mm -hmm. that is cool. Mm -hmm. But I got a funny story about, like, one thing that when I realized, like, something is happening. I was in, um, I was in San Francisco for this music conference. And at the time I was working for Mexican summer, uh, doing their digital and physical sales. And I was at a digital conference and the tech guys in San Francisco are like, you know, really intense. And I just wasn't enjoying myself. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave the conference. And I saw that I knew there was a Levi's store down the street and I wanted a new Levi's jacket, <laughs> denim jacket. Cause I, you know, with San Francisco, you got to kind of get yeah, one yeah. of those there. <laughs> And so I just was walking down the street and I was going to the Levi store and I was passing an Apple store and I heard this song and I was like, huh, I know this song. Wait a second. I really know this song. <laughs> this is chairlift. Oh shit. It's coming out of the Apple store. Oh, oh What are yes. they doing playing our song? Moment. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. I look over and there's this screens and they're playing a chairlift video and like, uh, they got the commercial for the new Apple, like, mm -hmm. you know, iPod or whatever. And it was, yeah, I was like, was I'm going to buy five Levi's jackets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, and I walked in the store and I was like, holy shit. Ask the guy, you know, oh, excuse me. Yeah. And, um, this is my band. Yeah, sure it is, man. You know, <laughs> like, no, really it's my band. And he's like, yeah, okay, man. Well, cool. man. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a new iPod commercial. Yeah. You want an iPod? And I was like, no, but, <laughs> and I was like, whatever. He doesn't know what I'm. So I was like, got really excited. And. I went back to the conference and everyone's like, oh, really excited. Congratulations. Like, finally wanting to talk to me. And I was like, you know what? You guys didn't want to talk to me yeah, before. Screw you guys. Yeah. yeah, you know, I don't want to talk to you now. And I just went to the bar and I was like, how much for two bottles of wine? And the guy's like, what? I was like, just sell me two bottles of wine. I grabbed two bottles of wine and went back to my hotel room and just called like Kay uh -huh. and my family <laughs> and like cried and celebrated by myself with them on the phone. And Aww. I was like, to me, that was like such a huge moment to know that like, we found that band when they were nothing. They were mm -hmm. playing cake shop to no one. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we built them through residencies at Public Assembly, Galapagos, mm -hmm. totally. when no one cared. Yeah. Into like becoming stars now, like mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know? So, and it, it was pretty amazing. That was a big moment, I feel like. Really, when really huge people moment. like started paying attention to music and commercials, like in like, oh, yeah, that was the whole thing. Yeah. Licensing. Right. And, like, that whole game, because I feel like... It did change the game. It mm -hmm. totally changed the game. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I think that's, like, a total kudos moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, back like... then, like, that era, it was kind of considered selling out. And I was like, but why are you selling... You're not selling out. You're making yeah. music accessible to everyone that way. That's the whole point of music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to be a snob and keep it for yourself, then you shouldn't... You, you're not gonna have a job you're not gonna have a career you know you right. can't do this like, like yeah that. i feel like people don't realize how hard it is to make money <laughs> in music like it's hard it's really hard and I mean, like so sometimes you have to take the money that you can get you yeah. know and mm -hmm. like you know before like now it's kind of like you know a lot of people 
you know, rest their shit on like live touring and making yeah. music that way. But you know, do you like, know that band, the Murder Capital? They're from the UK. No. I oh, don't. they're actually from Ireland, but you know, pretty sure. similar. But <laughs> there's a show on Netflix, Peaky Blinders. Okay, of yeah, course. yeah. And yeah. I love it. And they're like the main song on the new series, and mm. that helped them break. Like, it's like amazing. And, and now they're massive on their first record off the, off getting the mm-hmm. song being the main song on that new series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like most of the music I hear in TV shows is bad, but what like when you hear a good song, it really sticks out because oh, yeah. you pay attention. Yeah, and like yeah. it's very powerful. Especially when it's like a show or like a movie that you really respect and not just like a throwaway. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I remember when, like, I mean, they probably still do it, right? MTV. <laughs> like, they would fucking license your, like, entire catalog for, like, a dollar. <laughs> like, and then they'd be like, but you're going to earn money in royalties, you know? No, like, that's not, not <laughs> done. <laughs> I have to admit, this is such a guilty pleasure, but I still watch Catfish on MTV. Yeah. Do you know what Catfish is? It's this, no, you, know, you know what it means to catfish someone? Yeah. Okay. So it's a whole show about people who have been catfished and then the hosts go and find the person who's doing the catfishing and they introduce them to the person who's being catfished. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Anyway, I'm totally not the target demo, but they'd actually play some good music in there. Yeah. And um, I always find it interesting that such a lame show has, has <laughs> decent music, you know? Yeah. And actually they champion a lot of indie acts. Yeah. You would be surprised. <laughs> How are bands making money these days? Like, is it just live touring? Is it, like, licensing? Like, what are you finding? It's not from Spotify plays, right? <laughs> not really. <laughs> no. They don't pay that enough. I I, th- I still think it's mainly the live circuit, you know, yeah. like, more than anything. And, you know, like, you, ha- you know, this day and age, you can't just be a Spotify or, like, a digital band because yeah. it's, like, you're not going to make enough. Yeah, you'll get, you even if you're making, like, Millions of streams, it's not amounting to like enough to live. Mm-hmm. So you got to be a good live band, mm-hmm. and you have to be engaging to you know the audience, and you have to be a, you need to be like, have a great personality that people want to like believe in you and like want to invest in you, and you know just like when I was a kid, like I wanted to look like Ian McCulloch from mm-hmm, Echo and the mm-hmm. Bunnymen. I tried to do my hair with him. I lived in Florida and I'd wear a black trench coat to school. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I wanted that look, you know, yeah. and that's the power of music, you know, and I could never get my hair to stand up like that because it's way too humid down there. <laughs> so I ended up looking more like Will Sargent with the bangs. You know? <laughs> but that was fine. I was still pretty proud of that, you know. Uh-huh. But like, like, it's like there's so much like content out there. Um, like with social media and stuff. Like I think it's a overload. It's yeah. overload, yeah. right? Like you have to work really hard to stand yeah. out and like capture someone's like ADHD attention span, you know, these days. And like, are you finding it hard like with the bands that you work with? Like, because I, I don't necessarily think of indie music as like gram worthy or like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. They're kind of like chiller, you know, I think of like, like you know, we saw out the aisles the other day like i don't necessarily think of i can't even picture them like doing wacky stuff like that you'd be surprised social or <laughs> something like that like it, are bands like working to promote themselves like that like is, or Some, is it a struggle to try to get them to do stuff like that i mean it depends on the band you know just like bands or people personalities so it's like you know i do try to talk to our bands and get them to like 
express themselves more socially, you know, because that's what people want and yeah. that's what people gravitate towards mm-hmm. and get yeah. excited about. Because if you're just a band making a record and you just put it out there, that, that's not that exciting anymore. Yeah. People, yeah. they want a personality, you know, because they, they're so inundated with so much stuff going on and so much new music every day. And it's not just that, but like TV is so strong, you know. Netflix and all that stuff and Hulu and Amazon mm-hmm. Prime and all this. Yeah. That, that takes away from people's time too and yeah. attention. So they kind of want a combination, you know? Yeah. But more than anything, that's where touring comes in. Like if you're touring all the time, you know, and you're out playing to these kids and you're showing up them a cool personality and a cool like image and like a great night, you know, they're more likely to continue with you, you know, right. and stick with you. And that's a memory that they're going to have forever. Mm-hmm. I still remember the first time I saw the Echo and Bowman play in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I snuck out of my house through the kitchen window because my mom said I couldn't go uh-huh. to go see him. And he railed on his guitar, kicked his leg out to the audience, and all the girls <laughs> screamed. And I was like, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I tried to climb in through my bathroom, uh, the bedroom window, and my mom turned on the light and caught me. And she goes, I've been waiting for when you would get home. I know you went to that show. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you're grounded for two months. And I was like, it was worth it. <laughs> And, you know, I still think that's if they wouldn't have never come to Orlando, Florida to play, mm-hmm. I never would have had that moment. Mm-hmm. And I will remember that moment for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I get that happens to some of my bands, too, because I'll get emails like we don't get letters anymore, physical yeah, yeah. letters. anymore. So we get we do get fan emails. And these skateboard kids came emailed me one time that they drove six hours to go see Eternal Summers because they heard their songs in us in a bunch of skate videos. Mm. And so that's a similar thing, like, you know, and they fanned out and bought all this merch and stuff. And they wrote me to tell me that how amazing it was to see them because they had been listening to their songs for so long. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's where, you know, that touches people, you know, Mm -hmm. and it still happens. At the end of the day, you got to remember we're all people. We all have emotions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you meet someone, you decide then and there if you're going to like them. No matter what, it's not like I'll think about if I like them, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, you meet someone for the first time, even as a friend, you don't go. Maybe I'll grow into liking that person. You either like them or you don't, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of times when go, people go see a band, they do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I honestly know in the first thirty seconds if I like a band. Yeah. It's it's pretty like instantaneous mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. me, and a lot of times I can tell because I go to a lot of shows to do A and R. I can tell before they even gone on if I'm gonna like them. By the way, they they walk, they talk, mm-hmm. their whole. Uh, image, everything, mm-hmm. like, you know, the way they're kind of, like, positioning themselves and yeah. are, are, are hanging out. Like, you know, I usually can tell right away. And then by the time they go on stage and they're walking on stage, I usually know already if I'm going to like it or not. Yeah. And then within the thir- first 30 seconds of playing, I usually can decide. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll stick around and watch a couple songs always just to make sure. But mm-hmm. I usually – and it's – I think kids are the same way, you know, yeah. P- or new music or people going to shows and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. I agree with what you said, though, about the personal connection, because I feel like that's I feel like it's one of those things that is um, less and less uh, people getting that kind of uh, connection, because when they're listening to something online and then they move on to something else, like they'll they'll listen to an album once and then they go on to Netflix and watch something and then the album is forgotten about and there's no there's nothing to hold on to. So I think that that connection is so important still it is yeah and that's why i make mixes mm-hmm. like i don't put them on cassette anymore but i'm i do yeah. burn them to cd because I, like, I drive a lot and i like to make listen to them in the car but i always like put notes in my when i buy i still buy a lot of vinyl a yeah. lot mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I always make put slips of paper in there and write down my favorite songs and mm-hmm. i'll go back and put them on a mix tape mm-hmm. or 
CD or whatever playlist because that's the way you, you absorb music that way easier, you know? I Shazam it. <laughs> and then yeah. I try to remember later to, like, look it up, like, um, because, like, so that's how I take notes. <laughs> that, that's still the same way, you know? You know? I really wanted to read, like, an old, like, because you used to do, like, reviews. I yeah. Feel like, uh, I used to be a writer, it. too. Yeah. Um, I wrote, wasn't it yeah. on Crashing In you would do, like? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had um, two pages, one or reviewed um, all the New York, Brooklyn scene. It's called, yeah. You know, where I do interviews and reviews of all the bands from the New York and Brooklyn area. Then another page where, like, do all indie bands from all. And what was the URL? Interviews from around the world. It was just crashingin.com, but it doesn't exist anymore. Like, I, I didn't want to, you know, once I stopped doing it, I did it for, like, 10 years, and then I just, like, I did it even before Pitchfork was around way back then. Uh-huh. And then when that stuff started getting popular, I was like, there, there's just no point to this. Mm-hmm. I can't keep it going. don't have the time. And was well, it I mean, like, I kind of felt the same way. I mean, yeah. I was doing the blogging thing for so long, and then it's like, you, you're always trying to catch up to yourself. It's, it's just and then also, so insane. Yeah. And it wasn't, like, ever, I never did it. To become like a mag, like a big blogger magazine, mm-hmm. I did it because like to help promote the club nights more than anything. Right. And I thought it would just would just be a cool extra piece. And I, you know, I did some writing for Filter Magazine back mm-hmm. then and some other magazines. So I was like, okay, it felt natural for me to write about my new records I was getting all the time. Mm-hmm. Plus, I miss Filter. Yeah. <laughs> plus, it was a way for me to get free records mm-hmm. <laughs> every uh-huh. week too, oh. which uh-huh. I thought was great. Yeah. Get into shows. Like get in, yeah, yeah. Things, and I was gonna know? do it anyway, so I was like, I might as well just write a quick thing about it too. It's not a big deal to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I have those papers saved somewhere. I didn't bring one, but. I um I'm pulling it up on Wayback Machine now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done that? Have no. you ever fell into a Wayback hole? <laughs> We've been using it a- around this podcast a okay. bunch so to kind of revisit things that have disappeared from the internet. I don't know <laughs> if I want to see it, but like the weird thing about like doing the writing at that time, I had like a crew of writers, you know, but they mm-hmm. were based all over the world, and so there wasn't tons in New York. So when you know, and obviously New York is central for bands coming to tour and press capital of everything. Yeah, yeah. I would like, I could be fine with interviewing like, you know, new bands, but if it was like someone big, I got so nervous mm-hmm. and I was like, I can't do this. You know, <laughs> like I got to interview Ian McCulloch and I was like, I was like sweating bullets. Yeah, and yeah. then they're like, um, I was going to interview Ian Brown from the, you know, mm-hmm. Stone Roses. And I went to the hotel to interview him and the press agent's like, he, he's going to start after he smokes out a little and like uh-huh. and I was like by the time he was done with that I was so nervous I was <laughs> you're sweating yeah I was like drank like six beers already because <laughs> I was waiting for him and so nervous I was like I can't do this uh-huh and he's like what and I'm like yeah I can't I just can't do it I'm like I'm a mess already you know? right like, right emotional mess I it's just seeing being in a room with him for like two hours just seeing you know mm-hmm. was enough for me that I was like no I can't I know I, know. I made up a lie that I forgot to batteries for my like you know that's a my good one. tape machine. And I was like, and he's like, there's a deli around the corner. Go get some. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Yeah. Um, no, it's a different thing when you are interviewing someone that you're recently introduced to or that right. uh, is like, whatever, buzzy indie band at the moment. Right. But when you actually get to interview or chat with someone that has meant something to you, it's a different thing. Like yeah. the first time I, we, we've talked about this on the podcast, but like when I met Johnny Marr at Bowery after he, it wasn't an interview, but just meeting him when he was performing with the, the Cribs. 
like that was such a moment for me. I got incredibly emotional afterwards. Yeah. You know, you really had to hold it together, but it was tough. I mean, any of the Smiths yeah. that I've met. Yeah. <laughs> I interviewed uh, John Dwyer from the Coach Whips back then uh-huh. when he was in the Coach Whips, mm-hmm. and at the time I barely knew who they were. So yeah. it was like it was at one of those Brooklyn parties, and we did it on the rooftop. And I had I still have the tape of it somewhere. I gotta like uh, I got we bet, gotta resurrect. I some bet tapes. like <laughs> I bet like uh, that might be like something people would want to hear. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. was he was most amazing person to interview because he would kind of like make up all these like different languages and stuff (laughs) and like speeches and like start singing to me why he's like (laughs) answering the questions Mm -hmm. and he was amazing but I didn't get nervous or anything at the time because I was like oh he's just another band Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. new band you know Mm -hmm. like where it's like he wasn't developed yet and stuff so it's like it's it is like the level of like you know it's what they mean to you yeah yeah yeah. yeah. do you still go by DJ oil (laughs) I no, just, <laughs> I'm like not at all. Yeah, this oh my gosh, that's, that's like an embarrassing part of my <laughs> <laughs> pass it. But like, look, red and black, like all these flashbacks on oh this site, gosh. and right here, you're like, we at crashing in are sad to announce the closing of Sound and Fury Record Store. We give total props to Peter and all his hard work on creating a great environment for independent music in oh, New York. Sound we and Fury, Fury side, yeah. Just like Your crazy. entries were very positive. We were kind of snarky and catty no, in some hours. <laughs> I believed in this. Like I hated like you know like um, the blogs that would just like give someone one out of ten or just like this is the worst stuff. Like when oh, Pitchfork yeah, yeah, yeah. did that thing where the monkey was pissing in his yeah, mouth for, for jet. the jet. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, come on, man. So I had a thing on where I just didn't. If I didn't like it, I just didn't review it. Mm-hmm. So if you're opening my website at the time and something's on there, it's because I like it. Right. Only. Right. And I, I just still, there's no point in promoting crap mm-hmm. or stuff you don't believe in. Mm-hmm. You should only promote, like, people only have so much time a day to read something and so much time to intake stuff mm-hmm. into your head. Promote just good stuff only mm-hmm. and, like, feed, be, you know, positive vibes around, mm-hmm. like. I mostly followed that, but if I saw someone live that I was really excited about and it was incredibly disappointing, then I would be critical about it. I, I don't say I was mean-spirited, but I was just right. like, this wasn't you know their best and again we were using the website to promote our club nights too so Mm -hmm. we wanted to show you that this is the music we believe in this music we're going to be playing yeah so like of course it's going to be positive it's going to be positive yeah you know the hong kong sorry i'm just like scrolling (laughs) i found one of their cds the other day (laughs) when i've been purging some of my cds and going through them memories i found those yeah, well, I suggest people go back and look at that yeah. on way back because he had you know he posted I, a lot of great stuff. Do you know how I uh, obviously you know how I got the name Crashing In, right? I don't. I don't. All I right. don't. Go so ahead. okay, <laughs> uh, my favorite band of the '90s was and still is is the Charlatans. Yes. And so they had this song Crashing In, and it was mostly instrumental, just like a jam, like da da da, like you mm-hmm. know. And then I used to listen to it all the time when I was getting ready to go out before mm-hmm. I'd go out, you know, you know, like back then you'd pre-drink cause drinking, yeah, yeah. you didn't have money to buy drinks yeah. anywhere. So I'd, you'd get ready and have a couple of beers while you're getting dressed. And I'd listen to that song over and over and mm. over all the time in my place, you know? And so it just stuck. That's all I was like, I want people to feel the same vibe when they're yeah, coming yeah. to my parties, like of yeah. that song. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone got it but me. And they thought, yeah, we're crashing in, like crashing the party. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, it wasn't yeah. what I meant. But if that's what it means to you, that's cool too, you know? Mm. And so, yeah, like the charlatans are still like, like really heavily, like, you know, a big influence for me in the nineties, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know? And so I kind of like, 
formed at around that sound. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's cool. Maybe we go into repeat skip yeah, segment. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple albums we chose um, based on Leo's uh, amazing list of <laughs> <laughs> bands he's into from the 90s. Yeah, and... I, made a, I made a playlist. Yeah, we're going to include it. And it's it. seven yeah. hours long. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize I, I went a little crazy. I love that. So if you have a week, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can keep my playlist on loop. Or yeah. it's a whole nine to five day. I mean, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So as you're working. Definitely for wanna commuting hear. or yeah. like anything like that. Or if you just want a, a, a party, a 90s party. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. Uh, so the first album is... Um, Actually, our, oh, this one's from 94, Blur's Park Life. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean. So what is Park that's Life? That's your favorite album? Or like where you just pick random albums? Oh, no. Well, I mean, based on everything that you had. Oh, okay. I figured this was a good one that we all can kind of sure. have a comment on. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your memory of this record? I had. <laughs> all right. I was in. Uh, this wasn't the first time I went to London, but I think it was like the second time. I had a huge subway size poster uh-huh. of like that single with a beer. It was just like said Blur Park Life in a beer. And I had it <laughs> hanging in my my house or my apartments, whatever, for many years. It wasn't until I got married and met Kay. She's like, that's not going in our place. <laughs> and so I don't, I lost it, but it was for many years. So I, you know, always think of that when I think of like Blur, mm-hmm. you know, in my head. Cause it was like right when you walked in my apartment, you would see that right away and i stole it off one of those walls so it was like had like 10 layers thick and i would piece it apart little by little to keep oh it intact uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah blur was always great memories because i got to meet um damon and um graham and those guys i joined the blur fanzine okay if you joined the blur fanzine back then you got a big book and they came to atlanta and only fans could come to the after party and get the signed the book signed and yeah. like wow. Damon was too busy hitting on girls so didn't want to sign our books. <laughs> and I was like politely just standing right next to him waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, I had gotten everyone else's autograph and I really, you know, just yeah, wanted yeah. everyone's stuff. You know, I was a kid back then. Yeah. And then Graham finally came up and he goes, come on, Damon, quit being a dick and sign the kid's book. Aww. And like he just started talking to us like Graham and he was like the coolest dude ever. And he was complimenting like our shirts and stuff and asking us like, where we go see bands in, in the town and like mm-hmm. what clubs we go to. And mm-hmm. we had this like kind of like underground, like little Brit indie mod club that we'd go to called MJQ. And we told him he needed to come and he goes, it sounds wonderful. Like, you know, I want to go, uh-huh. you know, those guys are going out to the strip bars. Like I want to go do something else. Nice. And he didn't end up going with us, but he was very close to going, but it got like really late. The party ended up going to like two or so. anyway. So okay. it was yeah. pretty late anyway. So I bet they had to drive to like the next town or whatever, but yeah. Oh, that's cool. I met Damon once uh, back when Fuse first started their channel, and they had like their version of TRL, and somehow it was I got into that room and I got to meet them. So that was a cool moment. Yeah, I've never met Blur. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. <laughs> I've seen Blur play a lot. I mean, yeah. yeah, I still love them. But actually, like you know, my my favorite record of Blur is the first one more than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like with you know the song "There's No Other Way." Of course, yeah. it's yeah. like. It's, well, that's, that's still, still one of my one favorite my songs to dance to. Yeah, it's yeah. my that favorite song my by them. That was my first number one Always. blur track, for real. What is that called? Leisure? Leisure? How mm-hmm. do they say it? Mm-hmm. When I used to DJ, I would always play it. Oh, yeah, yeah. still the best. That's so still good. a great song. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, um, but yeah, I mean, like, so yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say. I was going to say, like, I, I really, um, the blur baggy era. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, what, what, what's your like favorite song from park life from Leo? I mean, you know, it still would be boys and girls, you know, the yeah. hit yeah, yeah. single, because like, no matter how much you're like, it's like the pulp common people song. If you're like, oh, they're playing that again, but it's brilliant. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> no, and I'll like, never tire of that. Oh no. And like. You know, Pet Shop Boys did a remix of it, and I have that 12-inch, and it just brings it up a notch to make it even, like, a little more campier and fun. Uh-huh. And I was like, first time I heard uh, the single remixed by Pet Shop Boys was actually at the dark room in the basement. You know how oh, they used to dark room. have yes. DJ parties <laughs> uh-huh. there? Yeah. Justine D was playing it. And I was of like, I know this is Blur, but what is this? This is sick. I'm a massive Pet Shop Boys fan. Uh-huh. Like, they were the first band I really got into in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And I was in, I spent a whole summer in Germany in sixth grade, and we listened to Pet Shop Boys all summer. Uh-huh. And I got home, and my dad had bought me the record, Please. Oh, cool. Wow. And I still have that same record from way back then like, oh. that he bought me. It's still in great condition. Wow. So, like, you know, Pet Shop Boys, again, were a massive influence where I they dressed really cool. Yeah, yeah. They were not aggressive. You know, they sang mm-hmm. campy songs, but mm-hmm. really beautiful, and mm-hmm. but still fun. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I, so I kind of, like, thought it was so cool that, like, Blur – would work with them, mm-hmm. you know, because they were pushing that lad culture or whatever. Mm-hmm. But still, here's this very campy couple mm-hmm. who make, you know, fun disco-y dance stuff. Yeah. And they're working with Blur. It's supposed to be like beer and lad culture. Yeah, know? yeah, that's true. I've heard that remix, but it's been a long time. Yeah. I have to revisit that. Is that it's, on your list? It's, it's got to be on. Um, no, it's not actually because I picked the other Blur song. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's no, but it's still on. I'm sure it's on Spotify yeah, yeah, yeah. or somewhere on YouTube. You know, I have the 12 inch if you want me to come over and play it for you. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, Jen, what's your pick? Uh, mine was End of the Century. Mm-hmm. Um, I always go for more sentimental stuff. <laughs> I was a sad girl. <laughs> you were a happy boy. I was a sad girl. <laughs> got that heart. <laughs> a total goth. I consider myself a modern goth. <laughs> but um, yeah. You live in Sunset Park. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the highest point in Brooklyn, but <laughs> <laughs> well, life's better now. But I'll always be like a sad goth at heart. Um, but uh, yeah, like I don't know. I just yeah, it's like the kind of song I would listen to and cry. <laughs> so, so for sentimental reasons, but of course, like who who can forget being like on a dance floor when you know when girls totally. are young? So yeah. Um, what was yours, Matt? Um, I mean, obviously, I love um, both of those tracks that you guys picked. But, I mean, I think probably um, I might go to Tracy Jacks because an ex put that on a on a mixtape for me. And I just that was maybe one of my first introductions to Blur. So that surprised me that you picked huh. that one. Yeah. That was a little left field yeah. choice. I don't necessarily know if it's the strongest track if, if when I'm revisiting, but it's the one I'm immediately drawn to, mm-hmm. probably just because of the connection to it emotionally. That's, that's music. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, you know, what you're tied to is what you remember about mm-hmm. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your skip track? Like, what would you skip if you were listening to the album? Though? I don't skip any of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Skipless. <laughs> I mean, that's like saying Bill and Sebastian has a bad song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, do the, do the Smiths have a bad song? Like, you know? <laughs> I think the only Smith song that I would ever skip is um, Golden Lights. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. cool. It's cute. Yeah. 
Well, we won't have open the Smith's can of worms. Yeah, but. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, Different era. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought, like, the debt collector was kind of like a throwaway track um, that I probably would skip over um, if I was skipping, or Bank Holiday. And I actually found Magic America kind of corny. But. It is. That, <laughs> so. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's fun. You know, yeah, it's fun. Like, yeah, like, there. this is like an album you can totally listen to from front to <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Back, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's still great. Um, no, I think it aged really well. Oh, yeah. 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 The art was great. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think Blur Park Life, and you automatically go to that album cover. Yeah. You know? It wasn't like the great escape artwork where they're on a boat. Oh, like, right. That's t- <laughs> the worst. When that came out, I was like, really, guys? <laughs> yeah. What about when that self-titled album came out that yeah. had song two on it? Yeah, but the artwork was cool. Yeah, the artwork was yeah. cool, I guess. It was very much of the time. That was actually a very smart move for them where they wanted it. If they wanted to break America, they were going to do it. Not as like Camp British Boys. They're going to have to be more guitar heavy. And so that artwork fit very well with like the grunge culture. Yeah, I guess. But so. still very British, you know, like Bush or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah remember that exactly. Bush? Oh, yeah. yeah. Bush um, were great. I feel like Song 2 is still like a, something they play at a football game. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Totally. I feel like I only like Bush because I thought Kevin Ross still was. He is a very, <laughs> he's a very attractive I, he, man. He's a very attractive yeah. man. I Maybe met not him, anymore. I met him in but... person. Oh, yeah. And actually, there was this band that, uh, I really look forward to in Atlanta that we all did. We all like idolized them called the Tender Idols. Okay. And they were from, the lead singer was from England, but lived in Atlanta somehow. Don't okay. know how. But okay. he did. He ended up there. He said he worked on cruise ships in Florida. Okay. And then he realized Florida was not so cool after he stopped working on cruise <laughs> ships to, to live as a musician. So I moved up to Atlanta oh probably the God. same way I did. And at the time, you could live in Atlanta. Like My rent was like $200 a month mm-hmm. for my own apartment. Like That's a, amazing. A big apartment. So you could live there. You could work like two nights a week, like at some lame bar or something, make enough, and then just do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he was, I guess they opened for Bush somewhere at some show. And I was at some after party show. And he was with Gavin, and he introduced me and I met him. And I was just like, the first, I was like, I wasn't even like a massive Bush fan, but yeah. I was just like, oh my God, that's the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm straight and I still have like, still was like, wow. Like yeah, I'm yeah. stunned by like his eyes, mm-hmm. his skin, his hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just his demeanor. He's very confident, but not cocky. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And very polite and very sweet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is, I could see why you're famous. Yeah. Yeah, um, but he lost Gwen. I don't know. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, he had his time, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, what was your skip? Um, the instrumental closer, which is very typical for me. Yeah. I'm just always, not into you that. You always kind of pick stuff. the instrumental. Uh, instrumental Interludes. or like interlude or like anything that's under 30 seconds. I'm just like, why did, why? You know, <laughs> we don't need this. Bands what do you think that, of though. interludes? Yeah. I like it yeah. because it gives you time to go to the bathroom. I <laughs> <laughs> already grab another beer from the fridge. Yeah, I guess or like, so. You know, like, <laughs> and so like, funny. you know, as a DJ, you need those times, like, you know, sometimes too. Like, we, when we used to do You would throw parties, on interludes, DJing? Oh, I would have like this. That would, like, no, not DJing, but like, you know, those, when I have to pee, you know, it's always level terrace apart. <laughs> you know, put that Joy Division song on. Right. I've got to pee. Extended <laughs> Yeah. Marquee Moon is a good one for that. It's damn yeah. long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember putting that one on. 
that record though changed my life marky mm-hmm. moon that uh-huh. was one of the reasons i decided to move to new york was because of tellers and marky moon mm-hmm. yeah because i just it is a mind oh yeah it's album. great yeah yeah there's nothing quite like I wait, when I was waiting tables one time in New York at this place, Angelica's Kitchen, that doesn't exist. It's all like a weird vegan co-op kind mm-hmm. of restaurant. Totally remember. And yep. a lot of bands would come in and eat all the time. And the owner would be like, okay, like, you know, you can't ever act weird. You got to be just normal, like they're a normal person. <laughs> and he wa- he walks in and I'm just like, oh my God. She grabs me <laughs> and pulls me to the back and she's like, I know, I know, I know. You act weird. You're out of here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Fine." Yeah. But I'm like spilling the soup, so nervous. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, Mike D from the BC Boys used to come in all the time, and I never thought anything of it. Yeah. I didn't notice it was him at first. <laughs> He'd ride this little bike, chain it up, and come in and just sit at the common table, which was like a group table, and just eat. And no one ever bothered him. Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, whatever. It's Mike D. You know, he eats here all the time." Got so used to it, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think if, like, um, I've only had rare fangirl moments, I feel like. Um, I always, like, try, I, I feel like I always, like, learn to, like, try to keep it cool. Because I used to, like, yeah. interview people yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. And, like, and also, like, after a while of living in New York, you just, like, are kind of, like, you know, overexposed to kind things. And just, the way like, to keep it as cool is not know who they are. Yeah. I met Patty Smith at Don Hill's when I was booking bands one time and I had no idea it was her. And I talked to her for like, like almost two hours. Cause like her son's band was playing and he was sound checking and he was like talking to me, befriending me. He was like really young, <laughs> like 17 year old kid. And he, up to the point where I was like, God, this kid's so nice, but he's so annoying. How do I get him to stop talking? You know? And he'd just be like, finally, he's like, you gotta meet my mom. She's so cool. You're going to love her. You would get along well with her because everything I was playing, he's like, you, she's going to love. She's really into all this, like all that kind of shoegaze you're playing and stuff. And I was playing like Ride My Bloody Valentine, Slow Dive, you know, between yeah. the bands. Like, mm-hmm. and it was early. It was only like eight. So it's no point to like play like crazy dance stuff. Yeah, of yeah. And I was like, that's cool. And I was like, yeah. And his, and his mom comes in and he brought her over and he's like, hey, you got to meet my mom, Patty. And I was like, hi, Patty. I'm Leo. Hi. How's it doing? Thanks for booking my son, whatever. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then. She was just flipping through my records, and I was like, come DJ with me then, because it's boring. I'm by myself. And we were just playing records, talking about stuff. Had no idea it was her. That's wild. No idea. for like. The, and then her, after, you know, like after her son's band played, they had to leave because he was underage. So, you know, you, when you're playing those clubs, mm-hmm. as soon as you're like underage, yeah. they make you leave, you know? So she left with them, and she was, bye, it was great to hang out with you. Thanks so much. That was so fun. And, you know, I shook my hand and stuff. She's like... And my son's like, you should definitely come to our house sometime. And I was like, yeah, whatever, kid. You know, <laughs> thinking in my head. And, you know, I didn't get his number or anything. And then I left, and two people from the club came up to me like, holy moly, Leah. Like, do you realize who you've been hanging out with? And I was like, that kid's mom is, yeah, she's really nice. You know, she likes all the same stuff. And they're like, no, 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 no. That's Patty Smith, dude. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> And they like, I had a record in my bag. He pulls it out. And I was like, I had horses in my bag. And he pulled it out. And he's like, I was like, oh, my God, it was Patty Smith. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I was like, that is cool. Wow. But I think she liked that. I didn't, I didn't yeah, know of who course. she was. And I was just like a normal kid playing records for her and hanging out with her, you know? Of course. Yes. If I would have geeked out and been weird, she would have been like, yeah, I got it. You no, know, that's like, the I'm trick. just going to stand you over know. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time. 
Um, I saw her actually like my boss at ASCAP took me to um, see her do horses at BAM and I remember um, like Flea was on bass. I don't know. She had some all-star band <laughs> playing with her and I was just, like sitting there like what the fuck? This is amazing. <laughs> like and then I was just like totally obsessed with her after that i was just like there's something to like seeing someone live yeah that's just so it can be so electric and like i feel like i really have to see a band live to really fall in love with them like there's some magic to it and there's so many bands that i haven't seen yet um that i just know like like the the cure, I, I really want to see the cure. I haven't seen them. Oh, still great live. Yeah, and still great like I just know that I'm gonna be changed mm-hmm. after yeah. seeing mm-hmm. them. And I don't know what it is. I just haven't gone to see them um, yet. And like you know what I mean though. Yeah. Like you, there's a magic to yeah. falling yeah, in love with how a band sounds is feels like live that you just can't really. Well, like nowadays, it feels like people go see the band before they know the records mm. and then they decide if they like that band then mm-hmm. go then go check out the records mm-hmm. where when we were growing up like we memorized those records for yeah, sure. yeah yeah of course yeah. didn't matter if they sucked live you're gonna love it because mm-hmm. you're just excited to see their face and see them there yeah, yeah see yeah. the way they dress and act and like oh my god it, they're so cool yeah you know and if they were even better i was like oh my gosh like i just i actually discovered the danny warhols before live before i knew who they were because they mm-hmm. opened for a that on that electric fiction mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ima tour and they were the opening band and my friends and I were like this is really good yeah it's that annoying guy that was talking this to us in the bathroom asking for drugs you know <laughs> and, <we're> like, <laughs> and his band's really good maybe we should hang out with them you know and I bought one of their their first album on CD back then you know yeah. from the merch booth and you know uh, and I was like been a fan ever since mm-hmm. like, I love bands who care about who's opening for them you know what I oh, mean? Totally. And like want to like help it should launch like another band, mm-hmm. you know? But also it should be like coordinated, you know, where it's like it shouldn't be so left field, you know? Like the band should have like some type of cohesion. So like, you know, like if you like, I don't know, like if you like the Soup Dragons, you know, you're going to like Jesus Jones. So mm-hmm, you want to mm-hmm. see both or you don't want to go like, you know, see some weird reggae thing before like, you know, you go and see the Walkman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like it needs yeah. to be mm-hmm. somewhat aligned and as a promoter I always thought of that yeah who is that band that opened for Jeff Cab that didn't make any sense and they were in Seattle and like the oh, why can't I remember um, I still love Def Cab I yeah. love their last record it's great it oh like I stopped with them a couple albums no their <laughs> last go back go back to their okay. last record it's a it's a reformation from their early stuff okay and it's so mind blowing I was, okay, this is another funny story. I was working at Rough Trade and I went to take my lunch break and I came back and my friend Tommy who works there goes, Leo, you're going to be really upset. And I was like, what? And he goes, the Def Cab dude was in here buying records while you were at lunch. And I was like, oh, oh don't tell me that. I'm going to cry now. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been so cool, you know? Yeah. I was huge into the photo album back oh, in the day. Oh, that's such a great record. And that, al- that album actually still kind of, Kills me a little bit, and then of course transatlanticism, yeah. and then maybe the one at what was it after that plans or something. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I kind of stopped. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. They yeah. did get kind of like the, the like 
when they were in the majors mm -hmm. and they left Barsook. Yeah. They kind of got a little boring. Yeah. But then they went back to Barsook and okay. they're making really cool. Oh, indie I didn't stuff know they again. went back. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they. I think their deal with the major probably ended anyway, or, so, or I don't know what happened. But as uh, a general uh, rule, I mean, back. I kind of feel like the same thing happened with, uh, well, re most recently with that Arcade Fire album that got totally oh, yeah. banned. But also like when Interpol went to the major, yeah. like I feel like it almost almost always uh, when a band that has tons of indie success, you know, kind of makes the transition. That album At is least always in the shit. US, yeah. Why is the that? The UK bands seem to do well with the majors because they're so tight that in, a lot of the indies are funded by the majors anyway, so it's kind of tied together more. Yeah. Mm. Where in the US, it's we're very separate. You know, you're an indie label or you're a major label or yeah. a mini major or whatever. You're you kind of do your own thing. I mean, I think a lot of it is like the majors here really do like, and I know from um, working with Surfer Blood when they they went with Sire, which is part of Warner, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they really sit down and try to change your sound into what they think. Yeah, I is figure that work happens more commercially, mm -hmm. and you're gonna at, let some 55 year old guy tell an 18 year old kid how to make a record. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna work. <laughs> it's not gonna be magical. You know, it's gonna yeah, be, yeah, yeah. it's gonna strip all the coolness that was the reason you wanted that kid in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, like. Yeah. It just doesn't work. It almost never works, I feel. Yeah, you can't. You just got to let them do their thing, you know, and then and then hope you like it. Should we yeah. talk about the other album? Yeah. So um, one of the albums on your list in terms of, like, influential stuff from the 90s was Smashing Pumpkins' Gish. Uh -huh. um, and they were one of the first bands that you were, like, super into, no? Yeah. Like, yeah. I got into them, well, not one of the first, but, like, you know, early high school. Mm-hmm. I got into him from a Cassie single that I had was given free uh, on the desk of or the counter uh, murmur disc, uh -huh. and I wish I still had that. And I, I can't even remember that which song it was like, but I I played it so much where it broke, you know. Uh -huh. And you know, you tried it back then, you try to tape them back together. Yeah. Uh -huh. It doesn't really last that long. No. <laughs> but they had a flyer inside of the Cassie single saying they're playing this club, which was like a hundred capacity club back then, and yeah. I was so excited for that. I bought tickets ahead of time. At the record store, I went the night of the show and it was canceled due to lack of ticket sales. Oh, nobody was like gonna go. Wow, you know, oh, and sad. I was like, oh bummer, because I was like, this was like I I wanted to, yeah, really excited about the show as a like you know, yeah, kid, and and I remember I even had to take the bus from my town like to downtown, which took like two hours to get to, and then I had to take a bus back. Bus back, disappointed. By myself, you know, and I went totally by myself because I couldn't convince anyone that this band was that cool, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And that's when they used, wear, they used to all wear the striped shirts. Mm -hmm. They have long hair, striped shirts, and they look like a cool indie band, you know, kind of psychedelic too at the time. And then they came around, that they released the album, and I remember the first time hearing the album, like, in public, there was this all-ages um, progressive new wave club that we had called... Um, Visage in Orlando uh -huh. and Friday nights was all ages mm -hmm. and went there and they had they were playing on a big screen they had they play videos sometimes with the songs and they had a big screen and it came on I am the one you know like uh -huh. and I was just like <gasps> I hadn't heard it yet mm -hmm. all I heard was that Cassie single and I was just blown away and I was just like I went up to the DJ booth and looked at the cover and I was like that is so yeah. You know, and I was like, I was blown away. And I was like, no kids were dancing because they just came out and didn't know it and mm -hmm, just mm -hmm, played mm -hmm. it like, like 11 yeah. o'clock, you know, prime time because like, you know, no one can stay past 12. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So 11 o'clock is like your 2 a.m. banger, yeah. you know, back then. And I was, it cleared the dance floor, but I was just standing there like, 
And it just like blew my mind. And so I bought that record, memorized it, and they were coming back to town again, like six months later or something. And this time they're playing like a 500 capacity sure, club or yeah. something. Sure. But it sold out so ahead. And we went, and I was like this far from the band. <laughs> and I remember, like, it was so uncomfortably close that James Eha wouldn't look at the audience. <laughs> <laughs> and like Billy Corgan would just do this to you to get you, you just stop looking at him because it was too weird. <laughs> but I was just like, never forget that. And then, you know, they kept coming around. In Florida, you could still see them at like a thousand capacity clubs, mm -hmm. for the, even through Siamese Dream, you know, and mm -hmm. stuff. And I kept going. And I think it was like, past Siamese Dream, I lost interest mm -hmm. um, because they got too rock, too mm -hmm. heavy rock. And that was never my thing. But that first record changed me so much. Mm -hmm. Even changed, the, I started growing my hair because of them. Long. It was surreal to and revisit wearing the videos. Beads. <laughs> Purple beads because of them. And I had like grow my hair to like here. Oh, wow. I, I almost because had, of that record. I almost <laughs> forgot that Billy Corgan specifically had hair like he that. He had really long, nice <laughs> yeah, hair. Like curly, long yeah, hair. Yeah, really nice hair. He had a cute baby face. Yeah, yeah. James E. had straight black hair mm -hmm. and Darcy had straight blonde hair. I thought James Eha was the coolest Asian. <laughs> <laughs> he DJed, had many, like, he DJed a crash and in then. party. Yeah. Back then, and I taught him to. I was the first one to teach him how to DJ. Oh, he never DJed cool. before, and like, uh, you know, he was working uh, with this label, and the girl from the label called me, and he was like, "James Eha wants to learn how to DJ," and she knew I DJed these parties. Will you teach him? And I was like, oh, yeah. "Yes, <laughs> yeah." And so, like, he had never DJed before, and I he learned he picked it up in less than like ten minutes. He was like, "Cause he's a musician," and so, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he was like, "If that's it, this is this that's easy." Yeah, yeah. And I was like. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, like, you put the record on, you turn it on, like, you just move the, yeah, and he got the bug, you know, and yeah. then from then he started doing all, he started DJing all around that's New York right. and stuff. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, but I remember it, it was when that, he was popping up a lot. It was yeah. that first, my first night, I was pretty excited about that. Oh, that's cool. And, but it was really nerve-wracking, too, because, like, he was like, can you get people to dance? Because people would just come and stand and look at him. <laughs> all on the floor, and nobody would dance, but it was packed to the rim, and they're just standing, looking, looking at him, like... Yeah. You know? And he was like, this is really weird. I always thought it, <laughs> it was funny when band, people in bands DJ, because that's what it would be like. All yeah. the bands come and they just want to watch wanna, them. I mean, yeah, I have they want to lurk. I, I used yeah. to do that at Beauty Bar when Andy Rourke would DJ. Right. And then when Stephen Merritt sometimes would DJ. Right. I would just, I would just kind of be that creep that just stare at them and yeah. drink. But yeah. it's kind of weird to like, unless they're hidden in a booth to like dance in front of them too. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> that's true. Like, they must think I'm a kook. Just like, yeah, of course. Because I don't really dance well. I just jump <laughs> <laughs> with excitement. I feel like uh, sometimes I was like disappointed or what they were teaching. A lot of times it is names. that way, you know. <laughs> a lot of times, uh, like they don't know how. Like they, they because the thing with bands is they they make their music and they play it whether you like it or not, mm -hmm. and that's what they do. Mm -hmm. But with DJing, you have to be completely different. You have to know how to move a crowd through sound and like how to make a create a vibe yeah, 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 with yeah. the music. Yeah. So you're like, okay, this song's not working. I got to change my whole idea. I can't just keep playing what I want to play. You know, like you can't play like this, this like um, the same breeder song over and over or whatever if it's mm -hmm, not working, mm -hmm. you know, or like just because you love this band doesn't mean everyone in the world's going to want to dance to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of bands were like that. We had like, uh, you know, I've had a lot of famous people DJ and most of the parties and most of the time I try to put them on early because of that because like they just don't get the crowd moving yeah 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 it's true <laughs> I always but going back to Smashing Pumpkins I always thought Darcy was the coolest of Darcy all of them Darcy was so oh cool oh my god yeah yeah 
I had this. I have the first. Do you remember the first uh, EP they put out? Lol. Before Gish. Yeah. I know of it. Yes. Yes. That is my favorite thing, like Smashing Pumpkins have ever done, mm -hmm. and I had a cassette of it, but now I have it on CD. You know, and mm -hmm. I've been trying to buy the vinyl, and the vinyl's hard to find, so it's worth a lot. But I still listen to that all the time, mm -hmm. and it's she sings like some songs on there herself. Yeah, I like when she sings. Gorgeous voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gorgeous. Does she ever do anything after, like Not on the I side know. or like solo? Or I know, I don't think so. and it was you know widely written about that she, when they were doing like the reunion tour yeah. that they reached out to her and she was kind of sort of going to be on board and then Billy fucked it up, I guess. <laughs> I, so. No, I think like I think um, I know like Jimmy had heroin problems, like you know, and drug mm -hmm. problems, and I think she kind of did too. So she kind of became I a see. recluse. And to go back in that, you know, if anyone who's like an alcoholic or a heavy drug user, to go put yourself back in that same place, yeah, yeah it's yeah, got to be yeah, really yeah. hard. Touring yeah, is yeah. hard, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. and I can imagine if you're just like surrounded by like that culture, it might be hard. I mean, you. how many times have you gone to a show and never had a drink? Well, I do it. I d yeah. <laughs> I mean, Think like, about it. no, I hear you. I have yeah. at least one drink. Well, yeah. that's but to have like zero and just sit there and drink water the whole time, which yeah, I've yeah. done too, but it doesn't. It's not as fun, right? Yeah. Also, the adrenaline of a it's Smashing Pumpkins vibe. tour. You know, that tour was going to be in stadiums. Exactly. So, uh, how do you the deal intensity. with that? Yeah, and you're like, you know, your nerves. You need something to calm down. And, yeah, it's know. like, yeah, you need to loosen up a little bit and open up. Yeah. So like to kind of really enjoy things. If you're like tense and like not relaxed, I, I can't right. imagine like really enjoying yourself at a show, you know? Well, so like Gish, right? So what would be like the song you would just like repeat over and over again? Oh, man, the whole record. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, like I kind of like weirdly enough for like a lot of those bands, like early bands, like. It was always a package deal for me. Yeah. But I Am The One is like a main single too for me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. listen to that nonstop. And I can, because that was like the first time I heard it and it sticks in my head like that mm -hmm. moment. But just like, it's such a good chorus, you know? Yeah. And it kind of sent a message to me mm -hmm. too. Like the thing I didn't like about Nirvana and those bands is that he was like, I want to die. I want to kill myself. I'm not celebrating life. Life is a terrible place. Where it's like, to me, Smashing Pumpkins were the opposite they're celebrating the beauty in life, the intricities, you know, the simple things like watching leaves fall. Mm -hmm, if you watch mm -hmm. their early videos, you'd see them roaming through parks celebrating the beauty of everything. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was uplifting. Mm -hmm. And that's what attracted to me very heavy. Like, their music was dreamy. It was still heavy and fun. They dressed way cooler than the other grunge bands. Mm -hmm. You know, they had a little grunge elements, but they were cooler. And they were more stylized. And But their music, the lyrics were all about, like, really celebrating yourself as a human being mm -hmm. and believing in yourself. And mm -hmm. like that song really like resonated with me that way. I always believed in like, yeah, like religion is a personal thing, but I always believed in God as being more of a higher being of yourself mm. so that each, each one of us is a God in our own sense of mm. that. We should celebrate ourselves in that way, not an egotistical way, but mm. it, in a strong way of believing enough in ourselves that we can accomplish and do what we want mm -hmm. in life mm -hmm. if we really want to do it and believe in what, that we can do it. And I think, like, that's why. I, You're you know, I proof that. of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a long way to go still. <laughs> There's a lot I still would love to do and, and you know, in the music business, but I'm still going to be around for a while, so. <laughs>
Good. Well, you you keep expanding, you know, so I don't doubt that you'll hit those goals. <laughs> so, um, so I guess you uh, don't have a particular skip track. No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Not, I've definitely that said record. that before, I think. Um, yeah. No, this was a good album. My favorite was Rhinoceros. I always tend That's to mm-hmm. gravitate towards like that softer sound when it comes to them. Um, <clears throat> although, you know, I don't wouldn't say Gish is like my favorite album. I mean, the, the one I have more strong attachment to was Siamese Dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you remember that video where they were in an ice cream truck? Yes, to, for today. Of course. Such <laughs> a great video. No, that's an iconic 90s video. Yeah. Such a great video. Such a great mm-hmm. video. You know, I have a really hard time getting bands to make cool videos like that. They, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I know they had big budgets back then. So yeah, of course. Yeah. But, like, such an amazing video. You'll yeah. never forget some of those videos. Remember when people would buy videos? Buy DVDs of all the band's videos. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember having Radiohead, and they called it seven television commercials, and it was all the videos from the Benz and OK Computer. Yeah. And, and I had it on VHS. That was a big deal to buy. Yeah. And now, I like talk to some like young skater kids about that stuff. And they're like, "Why would you ever do that?" <laughs> you know? They're like, "You could just YouTube it." Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was like, it was a physical product, and you got to rewatch the videos I over and over. I still watch like the Charlatans videos and Pulp videos and Suede videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when a band has a good video these days, like people do pay attention. So if you right. could kind of come up with like a concept that really enhances, but could you like imagine someone buying like a whole video collection from like Big Thief? On what format would they even buy it? On DVD. On DVD. Say they, Who buys know? DVDs though? Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like I have like a stack of DVDs. I was just looking at the other day, and I was like. Really need to get rid of these because literally you're just sitting them. there collecting <laughs> dust. I still like them. I still like VHSs and DVDs. So. Yeah. Well, maybe the VHS will come back in some way. I don't know. Does it degrade the VHS? Huh? Really? Not mm-hmm. if you keep it nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to resurrect some like old just like recording tapes, you know, yeah. like you have. Like I just find it fascinating. To also, like it's like a time capsule of like how I was too. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I used to tape 120 minutes. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. It was staying up all the time on a Sunday was Alternative hard. Nation. So I still have minutes. a lot of those tapes. Uh, yeah. And going back and watching that, and I would delete the like, you know, I'd go through and just delete yeah. the videos I didn't like mm-hmm. and like make mixes, just wow. like a cassette of like my favorite videos and put them on one tape. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and so and I kept those mixes. I think they're really, it's really cool. So you can put it on just like a cassette and walk around the house if you don't want to watch it and just you still hear the great songs. Yeah, yeah. And I found a lot of bands that way back then. I found a lot of bands that way too. Yeah, the Sundays mm-hmm. I discovered that way, <gasps> yes. that way way back then. Um, Velocity Girl discovered Velocity way back Girl. then. Material Issue, remember Material Issue? Mm-hmm. Valerie mm-hmm. loves me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, the Lemonheads were always on yeah. in twenty minutes. Like Juliana you know, Hatfield, Juliana Hatfield, <laughs> yeah. Blake Babies. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, Juliana Hatfield. Hey Babe record is still really good. Mm-hmm. They just reissued that too, but it's like a forty dollars vinyl. But it's a great record. What was the breakthrough one from like ninety three that had um, "Spin the Bottle" and stuff? I love that album. Oh, oh. yeah. Um, Become what you are. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was one of my favorites back in the day. Well, did we talk about your? Oh no. Now? So I, um, I kind of going back to what you both were saying. I feel like Billy Corgan brought some sort of poetry to it all, which was lacking from the whole grunge scene back then. Right. Um, uh, and 
uh, responding to what you said, I kind of feel the same way that I didn't really get into them probably until Siamese Dream and, and embarrassingly enough, Melancholy. Uh, and then I kind of lost interest. But um, my favorite would also be Rhinoceros. Yeah. Um, which, uh, yeah, I feel like maybe is a, I don't know. It differs a lot from the other singles is what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and did, did you have a skip? Um, did I have a skip? Oh, yeah, The Secret Track, which I didn't know existed until I did a little Wikipedia research on this because I haven't revisited this album in a long time. Yeah, I didn't remember yeah. The Secret I don't Track. It comes in track. after <laughs> the third minute. It's only about 50 seconds long, and it's called I'm Going Crazy, and it's oh, very, yeah. very minimal. No, that's yeah. cool, though. Yeah, but, you know, that used to bug me, though, about when they would do that on yeah. records. It was very yeah. common Because, like, 90s. in college... <laughs> we all had the five dust changers, you know, and we listened to music yes. while we were going to bed. I yeah. shared a dorm room with like two other guys. Yeah, yeah. And the music would go quiet, and you're like, okay, you start passing out, and then it would come on. Like five minutes later, you'd be like, bah! <laughs> well, you're already asleep and bu- bug you out. Oh my god! A yeah. lot of albums had a lot of albums did that. Nirvana had that stuff too, and yeah. that used to Green bug Day me. had it. I mean, I'm thinking of like alternative stuff, right? Um, yeah. And then I remember there was one album, and I, I don't even know, maybe it was like a Tool album, which embarrassingly I owned in the 90s, but like, it was like the 99th track. So like the album oh was gosh. 12 songs long, and then, you know. Yeah. 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 Silly. I don't, I don't get it. It's just another selling. <laughs> yeah. Selling point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm just remembering, like, I feel like Siamese Dream was like the first CD, like I asked, like my, I had like this cousin who would like kind of buy me things here and there. So I'd be like, oh, I really want this like Smashing Pumpkin CD. <laughs> and I didn't earn any money like as a kid. Yeah. Like I don't have access to money. And so mm-hmm. like he would like, he would buy it for me, you mm-hmm. know? And I'd be like, oh. And then like, that's like, I back then I was like really into art. And um, our high school had like an art major. And um, so I'd have art every day. And I just remember, like, listening to Siamese Dream and, like, created, like, this whole, like, surrealistic scene that was totally, like, you know, like, uh, depressed <laughs> teen, <laughs> teen girl. She was a uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, yeah, there was, like, a poetry to the music. Yeah. And you did, like, want to read the lyrics. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. Siamese Dream, like, they printed the lyrics. I don't remember if it was in Gish, but, like, they printed the lyrics in Siamese Dream, and I'd be like, oh, like reading it. It was before you could like Google it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's something we haven't talked about ever on the podcast. But like, that's something I miss is opening the cassette and reading the lyrics. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah. The liner notes. The, yeah. Yeah. Like all the artwork that people put together. Yeah. Like how important is artwork these days? Everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I get bummed when I don't like the artwork on a yeah. band. Like, you know, when they turn it in, and I'm like, I try to I try to talk to them and convince them that, like, uh, you know, it's a selling point because yeah. it's, like, perfect example is one of my best buddies. His nickname's Nude. It's another story. But, <laughs> you know, he loved this band so much. And, like, uh, and I remember, like, I was like, oh, wait, we got the new record at the store. You want me to get it for you? He goes, no, I don't like the artwork. I don't want to own it. Yeah, I have a burn of it. That's fine, then. And I was like, wow. Wow. This is one of your favorite bands, and you just don't like the garlic. And I was like, looking at it, I was like, yeah, it's just a black cover. And it just says Cold Wave or whatever. Like right, right, right. And I was like, oh, my gosh. He's right. And it's really, it is important. And I've kind of seen that happen with our label. It was like, or I'm like, I'll tell, like, K, my partner. And I was like, you know, this artwork's 
not really that great, you know, it's going to be harder to sell. And it, those are the, usually the records that do sell less. Like, it's mm-hmm. very true. Like, mm-hmm. really good artwork really does make a difference. Because mm-hmm. it, it's, think about it, you're walking around a store, what grabs your attention? Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, the price of records are high, so if you want to collect it, you want the whole package deal, and you want it yeah. to be really That's cool. That's true. Like, colored vinyl, you know? Yeah. Like, I bought the Penelope Isles vinyl last night. Yeah, and it's really cool. Pink vinyl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So cool. But it was, you know, and everyone has a different taste, you know, for artwork and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, I love Dive, and they put out mm-hmm. their new record. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the artwork's terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? why do they do that? Like, is it laziness? Know. No, maybe they just think it's really cool, you know? Like, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's just personal taste, you know? They're like... It's a, like a painting or something, and I just don't get it. It's like a weird mad dog or something, but I don't really get it. And I was like, this just looks bad, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, I'm not in a rush to go buy it, even though, like, I'm really into them, you know? I'm like, right. oh, I'll get it eventually, like, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think definitely I'm more inclined now to buy the vinyl if there's some sort of special element to it, whether exactly. it's numbered or autographed or colored vinyl or something, right. rather than just, like, buying the album. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I need yeah, something Yeah, I think special. that's how most buyers are now, too. Yeah. You know, we try to, like, you know, as labels, we always try to do special things like that for that reason. You know, like, um, it's it's important, you know. And, like, you know, when you do, like, and trying to get someone to pre-order a record, you want bonus stuff with it. or like Of course. Maybe you can bundle it with a shirt or bundle, like, Supergrass is coming back around, you know, like one of I my favorite that. bands. Mm-hmm. So I had to buy tickets for their show really ahead because I was afraid it's going to sell, and it did. Where are they playing locally? Brooklyn Steel. Okay. Which, you know. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's playing there. But I'll make exceptions for them, even though mm-hmm. I don't like going to those big mm-hmm. kind of shows. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they're putting out this, like, um, compilation album. It's like three discs, three vinyls or something, and the artwork looks killer. Mm-hmm. And you can buy, you can do the bundle and buy the shirt with it. And at first, I was like, I don't want to buy it. It's like 80 bucks yeah. with the shirt and the record. That's so much. You know, yeah. I think that's too much. My friend came over and he bought the shirt. He had got it already because he, he was visiting from the UK and got it in the UK at one of their shows and wore it. And it and I was like, oh, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so then you made the purchase. I'm, not yet, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm like, oh man, I got. I guess I'm gonna have to buy that. I now. bet you yeah. have a sick T-shirt collection. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot. Yeah. You still have the stuff from the '90s. Yeah. From the shows. Shirts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been saving them for my kid. Mm-hmm. See yeah. if he likes them. But now it's like. You know, my, as my wife says, as my collections become Horderville, mm-hmm. even though I'm not very organized. So I'm going to start selling some at the fairs, some of the mm-hmm. shirts and stuff. You know, some of them are quite valuable. Yeah, yeah, I've looked them up. But like, you know, like not mine were more obscure bands and stuff, too. Or okay. I don't know. Like I looked them up and none of them are worth over like $30. Oh, more. really? Yeah. Okay. I think maybe it's my sizes, mine were all size small, mediums. <laughs> okay. Those have to, you know, sizes, what was sell, reselling clothes matters a lot. Mm-hmm. And it has to be like a large or an extra large to sell, be worth a lot. Because like, those are the dudes that tend to like, you know, we'll spend well, more on you, that. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 the older you get, maybe you have a little belly or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not quite as skinny as back yeah. in the day, you know. Um, but there, yeah, it's all nostalgia based. Yeah. Like yeah. People who are buying that. There was a moment uh, a couple years ago where I was buying vintage T-shirts, like old, old, original Smith shirts, Stone Roses shirts and stuff, but they were not cheap online. No. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I have like a Smith shirt with the original um, William It Was Really Nothing artwork, and oh, cool. I treasure that. I threw away all my other Morrissey shirts, but that's a whole other thing. You're what? crazy. You like, yeah. threw away Morrissey shirts? I threw shirts? them away. I, I'm like Who done with his alt-right bullshit. Oh, yeah. More. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. Well, no, let's not talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
staying positive here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, We're in Sunset Park. Come on. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Leo, for joining us. Thank you My so pleasure. much. It was so awesome to catch up with you and get the origin stories and, you know, like, and like providing us a little mixtape to share with our listeners. So, yes. Thank you. A little is being generous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, figure of speech. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were songs I couldn't find on Spotify to of fit course. on there. So I was like, oh man, really? really? <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Totally. Yeah. There's probably like at least 30 or 40 songs I couldn't put on there. <laughs> we'll post like you know pictures of the mixtape he brought and like the zine so you yeah. guys can kind of see it and um yeah and uh see you guys next time on mixtape, mixtape memories. memories bye bye <laughs> <laughs>